Did Jesus ever sin? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hear of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian DeBozik, and with me is Aaron Armstrong and possibly my dog Chester, who I hear whimpering in the background. I don't know if that's going to come through the audio. I sure hope not. No, Chester, he's he's our beagle, and he's a vocal beagle. Anybody who owns a beagle knows this. Uh, they tend to be a little bit vocal, and so he will... Uh, when he's missing somebody, he'll let he'll let you and the, pretty much the whole neighborhood know about it. Nice. Well, you know, this is why I don't have pets. Oh no, we love our our two dogs, Chester, and then we have a, a, a lab mix, uh, Della. Great dogs. Nice. I'm I'm sure they're great, but Just not uh, the best podcast companions. No. No, well, have I ever told you that basically, because I'm not a big dog person, but basically every dog that ever comes into contact with me seems to be determined to make me their best friend. Because <laughs> they know. Yeah. They know. They can sense something. You know, dogs are amazing. So uh, our Chester, Della doesn't care. She's in play mode. She's a lab. So she's a playful dog. Mm-hmm. Chester's more of an overgrown lap dog. But Chester, at times, like if he'll hear Caleb crying or something, even if you fake it, he will come up to you and he will intentionally get his face right in yours to try to comfort you. Um, this Dogs are just amazing that way, that they can sense these things. So I think they sense that you need to change your heart, that you have a sinful heart <laughs> and need to learn to love dogs. Do you see where I'm going with that transition? Man, that was a smooth transition. Well done, because today we are talking about the sinlessness of Jesus. Yes, Jesus was sinless. He would have loved dogs. Well, he did make them. Yeah, he did. He did a good job. That's right. All right, so let's talk about the sinlessness of Jesus. And so Aaron, start us off as always and go ahead and read the essential doctrine, and then we'll go from there. All right, here we go. So while the Bible affirms the full humanity of Jesus, it also affirms that Jesus was completely sinless throughout his entire earthly life. Nevertheless, because Jesus was fully human, he experienced the real temptation to sin as seen during his trials in the wilderness. Yet, even though his trials and temptations were real and similar to the rest of humanity's, Hebrews 4.15 confirms that Jesus did not sin. So, you'll notice there's a lot of caveat-type language in that (laughs) description. because One would think we wrote it. (laughs) I know, but we didn't. This predates us. This predates us. But here's the basic big idea of this doctrine. Jesus did not sin even a single time. He did sing, but he did not (laughs) sin. So um, now when I sing, sometimes that feels pretty downright sinful sinful, because it's pretty terrible. Same for me. (laughs) Yeah, that's the big idea. Jesus never sinned, although he was fully human. And again, we're going to talk about some of these, why there are so many caveats in that, because they're important. And uh, we are the kings of caveats, so we will come and and talk about them in in a minute or two. But before we get there, let's look at where we see this in Scripture. And this essential doctrine, if you were to read it in one of the sources that we provide this, you will see several of these passages referenced in it as well. Um, one that stands out to me is 2 Corinthians 5.21, where 
we read he, meaning the Father, in that he, he made the one who did not know sin, meaning Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus did not sin. He did not know sin, but the Father was the Father's pleasure to put sin on him, to punish him as sin for our redemption, for our salvation. Yes, which is really challenging for people to understand because the whole idea of the only the only innocent person ever, the only truly sinless person being punished for the sins of all people is pretty intense. Yeah. So you have Hebrews 7.26, uh, where we read, For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So there you have uh, four words that are basically saying the same thing, mm-hmm. sinless. He's holy, which means set apart. In this context, it would be set apart from sin. Innocent, blameless, because he was not had no sin. Undefiled, clean, again, without sin. Mm-hmm. And then separated from sinners, because he was sinless, unlike sinners. So four different ways the writer of Hebrews uses to express this important truth. Right. And an important thing there to, for, for you guys to remember is that so much of Hebrews, what, what the author of that book is doing is he's contrasting Jesus versus the uh, sacrificial system and, the, and setting up Jesus as that perfect high priest that all the other high priests at their best and in their function were pointing toward. Yes. In addition to being the perfect sacrifice that they gave. Exactly. um, Another good passage, though, is 1 Peter 2, verse 22. That's a lot of twos, Brian. (laughs) So here's what it says. It says, he, that, that is Jesus, did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So that's a pretty direct statement there. Um, it's the most on the nose of yeah. these verses. Yeah. And then we have two final ones. One we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, the temptation. We see that that Jesus does not give in to the three temptations and and affirms his sinlessness, that that was at the beginning of his earthly ministry intentionally to to prove that he is the, the valid Messiah. He is qualified to take away the sins of the world because he was the sinless sacrifice. And then Hebrews 4.15 makes that abundantly clear when we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So again, another on-the-nose statement there. So clearly, the Bible supports this understanding, this truth that Jesus was indeed sinless. So let's talk about some of the cautions, some of these caveats we've been mentioning that we we heard in the essential doctrine being read and that we've kind of danced around uh, to this point. So what is one of the, the concerns that we need to keep in mind as we get started in this part, Aaron? Well, one of the big ones that we have to address is the, the fact that being tempted to sin is not the same thing as actually sinning. And so... Uh, we we need to remember James 1, 13 through 15. This is, this is what this says. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So that's that unpacking of, of 
how one leads to the other, but um, we need to remember that the that the challenge for us is not to let temptation linger and and give birth to sin ultimately yeah. um, sin leads from temptation but they're not the same thing so yeah. Jesus being in his nature fully human in addition to being fully God was sinless meaning and that I'm sorry go um, ahead it's okay meaning that as we see him tempted in, you know, tempted after his baptism and after the father um, affirms his love and approval of him as his beloved son with whom he is well pleased, he's taken out into the wilderness, he fasts for 40 days, then the devil shows up and makes these three offers to him. We did a whole episode on this um, about two months ago, so go back and listen to that. But, uh, and, we'll, um, and we unpack that in greater detail. But in all of it, Jesus does not succumb to temptation and he does not sin. He is found blameless. Yeah. Although, again, we have to protect this. He was fully human. We've talked about this as well. He was not some kind of 50% human, 50% God. He was not subdivine or superhuman. He was fully human, fully divine. And so we cannot discount his humanity because he was sinless, as if that means he wasn't really human. Correct. Um, Correct. So maybe a way to maybe a, a good way to think about it is is um, Romans describes, um, and we'll be talking about this one in in a future episode as well, which is this concept of humanity because of our choice to sin, and because of our sin nature, we are enslaved to sin. Mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, so the, and Romans put uh, in Romans, Paul puts this uh, contrast between Adam, the um, Adam, and then Jesus as the second Adam. And basically, the picture is given is that these are the only two people who were not from the get go enslaved to sin. And so, as a result of Adam's choice, all were enslaved to sin, but Jesus was not because he was per- he was the second Adam. He was the greater Adam. Um, he was, and and part of that has to do with the fact that he was both fully God and fully human. Yeah. So he did not have a sin nature. Yeah, and this is where we have to understand that. Uh, there's there's a couple of, of interesting sidebars here. One is theologians will debate whether Jesus was what's called peccable or impeccable. And peccable means that he was capable of sinning. Impeccable means he was not capable of sinning. So it's a really fascinating theological discussion that, that is had there. Uh, but I think no matter where you land in that, whether you believe that it was impossible for Jesus to sin, or whether you believe it was possible and he didn't, the temptation was real, and the sinlessness is real. That's, you have to preserve that. Don't, don't get lost in the weeds of the theology of this and lose sight of that clear truth. Um, another is, you know, when we think about the Christian and sin, as you, as you said, um, we have the sin nature, but then in Christ we're these new creations. So I think it's it's your word order that matters here. Let me see if I can say this correctly. So in Eden, 
Adam was sinless, he was capable of not sinning. Correct. But then when we fell, when he fell and had this sin nature and we are born with this sin nature, we are not capable of not sinning. We, we can't. I mean, we, this, sin has this power over us. We're enslaved to sin. But when we come to Christ, we return to this position of we are capable of not sinning again. In eternity, though, here's the beautiful thing. It will change and we will be not capable of sinning. It's a really slight but important shift in, in meaning there. Right. This is why we read with confidence in Scripture that in eternity, sin will be no more. There will be no second fall. We will never sin again. It's because we will then have gone from being capable of not sinning, although we fail to do that quite often. We live as impostors. We live our old selves. At that point, we will be made new, and we will be not capable of sinning. Right. And an important caveat, because again, we are the king of caveats, <laughs> um, an important thing that we need to remember in this is enslavement to sin, this this reality of the sin nature that humanity has and experiences, this does not eliminate personal responsibility. Yes. The best way, here's the best way to think about the ensl our enslavement to sin, our, our inability to choose not to sin, if you will, um, or our ability to only choose sin ultimately is it really comes down to what do we want to do most? Yeah. By nature, apart from the saving work of Christ, apart from being given this new nature by the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, um, we only want to go against God. It's what our deepest desire is. And that's really hard to understand when you think about language, um, language that the Bible uses that can that reads like we don't have a choice in it. But what we maybe the best way to think about it is is because it's um, we are captured by our love for what is wrong. Hmm. So think about it like um, this is a really simple example probably overly simple think about it like smoking i know some like people who smoke they know it's bad for them they don't need to be told that it's bad for yeah. them they get it they know what their breath smells like they know what color their teeth is they know what it's doing to their skin they just want to smoke that's kind of like what sin is there's part of us that knows this is, we know this is not good for yeah. us. And, you know, just let me, let me give another example, just so nobody feels we're, we're singling and targeting anybody. This is probably more universal. We all eat terrible foods. Yes. We know that may, well, I won't say the, the name of the fast food chain so we don't get a lawsuit, but we know Thank that, you. that, that place that serves burgers and chicken ish nuggets uh, we know it's not good for us, but we go there 
mm-hmm. and consume it because we want to. We're drawn to that. So we all have different ways. We're not singling anybody out. Uh, different analogies, different examples. Yeah, we are drawn to sin. There's nothing we can do um, apart from the power of Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit. Uh, to break free of that. But in Christ, this is so important. We have to understand we have then this new ability to say no to that. Um, again, by the, as the Spirit changes us, as we continue to have Jesus as our greatest treasure and our, our, our desires change, we find ourselves, we are finally capable of not sinning. And again, one day we will be not capable of sinning. That's right. As Jesus getting back to it, was sinless. So yes. without that sin nature, um, he was sinless. He was tempted. It was a very real temptation, but he did not give into it. Yeah. Another thing we need to be careful about here is um, we we have to understand that Jesus experienced the results of the sin in the world around him. So he was sinless, but he lived in a sin-marred world. This is probably part of why he wept at Lazarus's tomb. Um we don't know for sure, but there is good reason to believe that at least part of his weeping there was because he saw what sin had done. He saw the pain and anguish of people he cared about, and he was he was groaning, he was grieving what sin had done to his creation, and and lamenting this deeply in his soul. So he 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 experienced the the fall. He experienced it all around him. He was. He was constrained in a, a world filled with sin. I think a really interesting, another sidebar is, did Jesus get sick? Um, did he ever get a cold? Mm. Um, you know, it really, it, it's an interesting one. Um, I don't know if we want to wade too deeply into it because it's full of speculation. Um, you know, I think that we've done a lot of speculating on today's episode <laughs> as it is. And I and I mean, honestly, I think it's a. I think it would be one that we should have Trevin talk about sometime with us because then he can get in trouble. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I mean, they're just you know, it's an interesting thought. It's again, as we as we guard and protect the humanity of Jesus, the sinlessness of Jesus. Um, th- a question like this is fascinating: Did Jesus ever get a cold? Because right. a cold would be a part of the falling condition. It's not part of God's original creation. Illness is not part of that. It would not have been because of sin. You don't get a cold because he was sinful. But did he experience the results of the fall as deeply as that, getting the sniffles and, and so forth? It's just an yeah. interesting kind of thought. It is. I mean, you know, and then it goes down to, you know, did he have to go to the bathroom and stuff like that? So, Well, um, what else would he do? Well, I mean... He was fully human. That's right. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the the next thing that we have to have to address in this and this is a head scratcher, okay? Is this concept that Jesus became sin as 2 Corinthians 5:21 says. Um that is crucial to our understanding of the gospel um and how everything that happened happened um on the cross. That this sinless one became in the eyes of God from a practical, from this perspective that I can't even say practical because we, I don't, <laughs> I don't have the vocabulary for this. And I don't think any human being truly does, oh. despite how many letters they have behind their name, <laughs> um, to really be able to say 
exactly what was happening here. How did this work? How did the sinless one become sin itself on the cross? But we need to we need to embrace that that mystery, that that thing that we don't get because if we lose that, we have an ineffectual moment on the cross. Sin itself is not actually taken care of. It's not addressed in yeah. the way that the Bible call says that it needs to. Remember, the sacrificial system required a spotless, perfect sacrifice. So the so the the Israelites, they were called to sacrifice a lamb that had no spot and no blemish. It was perfectly white. This was a symbol of Jesus, who was the spotless and blameless and perfect Lamb of God, who was slain for his for for the sins of his people and for yeah. all people. Yeah, it's such an important you know. I, that's one verse that I think is so important. Um, we are both prone to say that of many different passages, but this is this is up there. This is on my Mount Rushmore of most important verses for a Christian to know because of this such an important truth that you're expressing here. And it is a head scratcher. I remember when I first heard about this, I think it was in college, when this idea of of Jesus becoming sin, and I remember recoiling and said, no, 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 he was sinless. How could he become sin? And the person discipling at the time took me to 2 Corinthians 5.21 and began helping walk through. And I just, I still remember there, even though it was, what, 30 years or whatever ago, um, I still remember kind of saying, all right, I see it there. I just don't understand this. This this does not make sense to me. I understand the theological undergirding, as you were just expressing, but how Jesus became sin and sinless, I don't understand. Um, and I still don't believe I understand that. There may be people who do have this figured out. I'm not one of them, <laughs> but I know it's what Scripture says. I know why it needs to be, how it worked. I don't know. Um, but also, because of this, the beautiful truth in the latter part of this verse resonates that because Jesus became sin, we are not only forgiven, we are righteous because he was sinless. He obeyed perfectly. We've been given that perfect righteousness. So uh, credited that perfect righteousness. So let's kind of wrap up. What difference should this doctrine make? And, and let me just kind of summarize because we've hit on this quite a bit. So let me just kind of summarize and then we'll just kind of wrap this episode up. Um, Two things. One, I think this gives us great assurance that Jesus was the worthy sacrifice for our sin that we just talked about. He was sinless. He did not deserve to die. He was the perfect, pure sacrifice, worthy to take on the sins of others and pay their penalty because he had no penalty of his own to pay. And then the second thing, in Christ's temptation, he understands what we encounter. That's so important. Um, again, as, as many of us may be prone to, to be harder on ourselves than maybe we should be, um, you know, and we feel we're the biggest failures and that Jesus, God, the Father must be so disappointed with us. Um, and I think we have to remember this, that no, Jesus understands. He knows what temptation's like. He understands why we would be prone to give into it, does not justify it does not excuse it by any means but it's understandable so um, this is so important that Jesus understands temptation he understands what we're going through he sympathizes with us 
He, he loves us. He wants what's best for us. And he has given us the spirit to help us to resist the temptation, uh, to give us wisdom to avoid times of being tempted. The, the best course of action for us is not to withstand temptation. It is to avoid temptation. And so if you find yourself putting yourself in a position where you know temptation will be there, then you're being unwise. Um, that's the wisdom of the spirit that needs to convict you of saying, no, 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 don't be dumb here. Be smart. Uh, this is not the time to show how much of a spiritual giant you are by what you can withstand. Um, it is a time to avoid it. So God has given us the spirit to help us. He's given us the son who sympathizes. So great comfort there. All right, so let's wrap up there for the day. Aaron, thanks for talking uh, about this uh, with me and for providing all the caveats that our hearts could desire in yet another episode. (laughs) Uh, Always a pleasure. uh, You know it. I do want to thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 